0: Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by WhoScored.com in association with Oddschecker. I'm Dan Bardell, your host, as ever, here to preview the weekend's Premier League action and delighted to be joined by Jonathan Wilson and George Ellick to do just that. The first game we're going to focus on is Manchester City v. Tottenham. And I'm going to surprise you here, lads. Oh, lads, I don't know why I said that. I've got a bit, I've got a bit of i I've, I've got a bit of trivia. For you, oh, no. Manchester City v Tottenham at the weekend. There was a couple of strange transfer moves in the summer that I actually wasn't aware of that, that had happened. Herbie James and Egan Riley have gone from Man City to Tottenham in the summer, apparently. But before that, who were the last three players to move between teams? Carl uh, Walker. That's correct. That's the last, the latest one.
1: Can you hang on, can you give us? Can you tell us which way they they, they went?
0: So the next one, the the next two, in fact, are Man City to Tottenham. Adebayo? Yep. What position? I don't think you too much away, Jonathan. I'll give you his name if I'm going to give you his position. (laughs) Okay, so he didn't really have one position. He kind of had two positions. Mm, I think I'm going to have to call time on it. Chor Sure. Uh, oh. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah
0: that was for some reason that was the one that popped into my head and then i re- then i remembered kyle walker let's get into manchester city against tottenham then and last time out jonathan loselso came into midfield for tottenham is a very attacking lineup i mean we didn't even name a center back in the team and we'll come on to center backs later on in the podcast but LaSelso performed well do you think he can revive his spurs career or do you think he's just a stop <coughs> until madison returns like Madison's clearly the first choice, but this is an opportunity for him to
1: remind people how good he can be. And if he if he does well, then why can't he be part of that squad going forward? Um, yeah, but I mean, Madison has been brilliant since he got to Tottenham. He yeah, looks a player absolutely in the right environment. So I think the the idea that Lascelles would displace Madison is is, is unlikely, but. You know, you need a squad, and 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 he can be Madison's deputy, and, and maybe by playing a bit more, can take some of the physical pressure off Madison. So, it's it's a chance for maybe he he and others did, didn't think he'd have. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I was uh, I was in the press room at, uh, at Goodison watching that game with the sound off, saw that goal, and was like, who, who was that? <laughs> and then <sighs> Lascello still, how has he not been loaned to Turkey? He's got loaned to Besiktas, written all over him. He's
0: it's a but, good player, Lascello. He, he the, is a good player, high level Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it's it's an opportunity for him. Yeah, I guess, I guess bearing in mind last time out, actually, obviously they've got a load of absentees at the at the moment. Tottenham, the injury list isn't is an absolute disgrace. They kind of cry cool Kulusevski and him as kind of free 8 George. So in certain games, maybe now he's had that little chance in the team. Maybe when Madison is fit, there is room to to, to put them both in for certain games.
2: Yeah, I think with with Posta Cogley you've got a manager who's very fluid in terms of what he asks of his players. Um, I think there's a lot of attacking freedom, which suits Lo Celso. You know, when you consider the players he's played under at Spurs, um, Conte, Nuno, Mourinho, like these aren't the kind of managers you'd anticipate would be able to get the best out of effectively a a technically gifted player who probably isn't going to offer you too much um, out of possession. You know, he's he's fairly scrappy, but, you know, he's not someone who... um, I think it was necessarily suited to, to those players. And you, you look at the way that he used the ball against uh, last weekend. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> you look at the way that he used the ball last weekend, his ball retention, the way that he is able to, to create or, or basically develop, uh, progress the ball into the final third, the goal that he scored. Um, and, and it's, you know, he isn't the only one. I, I, I always think it's a sign of a good manager. It's something we've spoken about with with Eddie Howe a lot uh, over the last 18 months. and I think we're going to again later on the show is... The measure of a manager is, is what they can get out of players that they inherit who maybe aren't playing particularly well. And um, we've got a Spurs side this season who a lot of individuals have come on a lot under Postacoglu, and it wouldn't be a massive surprise if Lo Celso is the next one. You know, he's clearly a, a manager and a head coach who encourages his players to play with the total creative freedom and not to you know to to really get the shackles off in terms of what they they look to do. And I think that suits Lo Celso perfectly. The only concern is he is someone if you look through his career. Um, the, the runs of, of good form are always fairly short uh, and that is reflected in, in the amount of time he spends at certain clubs. But he did, you know, he had a decent load at Villarreal last season in La Liga. So, you know, he, yeah. ca- he came into this season off the back of, of some good form. Um, so, you know, it's, he's not a bad option to have and especially given the, the Benton Co injury. Uh, again, um, I'm sure he's going to get a lot of minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, talking to form players, Jeremy Dock, who is actually the form player in the Premier League at the moment, according to Who Scored Rankings. This is going by the last six appearances. He's got a rating of 7.95. George Harland is second now with 7.79, and it is a Man- Manchester City trilogy. I'm living in the future. At the top. Yeah, yeah. It is a Manchester City trilogy at the top with Bernardo Silva at 7.61. Just to rattle through the rest, fourth is John McGinn, fifth is Mo Salah, sixth is Andre Anana, seventh is Saka, 8 Fernandez 9 Dallo and 10 is Douglas Luiz. If you're listening via audio, you won't have seen the face I pulled when I said Andre Anana's <laughs> name because I was not expecting to see him in the top 10, albeit they have kept a lot of clean sheets recently Manchester United, so this probably helps. But back to Daka, he's up against Pedro, pa- Pedro Porro even this weekend, Jonathan. Daka is the form player, as, as I've just said, but he's also got the most successful dribbles, coming up against Poro is having a a good season in in possession. And, uh, you know, I actually really, really like Poro. I really rate him. I think he's a really, really good footballer. He's been dribbled past more times than anyone else this season. Is that where this game is is going to be won or lost?
1: It could be. I mean, I I think you've got to put that Poro stat in context, which is he's probably not getting a lot of support from the midfield in front of him, the way Tottenham play, that Kylosovsky pushes up so yeah, you know, he often is left a bit isolated, um, and maybe equally, yeah, you know, the centre back isn't covering behind him. So players will take him on more. So I don't think that necessarily means he's he's really bad when a player is dribbling at him. Um, yeah, you know, I think it means that the the system Tottenham play mean mean that he's vulnerable to that. Uh, I think I think Doku is actually just key to Manchester City at the minute because he he clearly is a really exciting dribbler. You know, he's scored goals. He sets up goals. Uh, I think the stats um, from 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 Saturday from Liverpool game was that he attempted 17 of the 25 dribbles City attempted. So that's a huge sort of stacking on that left side. The problem is he he, I mean, yeah, you know, he completed 12 of those 17, which is you know, really high, but it means he lost the ball five times. And for Guardiola's side, that that is unusual. He doesn't like the ball being lost. And I think if you look at the the stats. A lot of the the, the chances that you've conceded have come down their left, the opposition right, and I think the reason for that, it's partly maybe Gradiole plays very high as well, but maybe that's necessary because of the way Doku plays. Doku puts in a lot of tackles, but I think that is is also reflective of the fact he loses the ball a lot, so he's trying to get it back. Uh, so I think he, you know, it's, it's it's it's, and I think you really see this as Guardiola sides, so the the balance of risk reward that he brings a lot of positives, but there is a there is an element of gamble there in that he loses the ball and, and Guardiola's always hated that loss of control so it does seem to be him playing a slightly different type of football i think he's probably a bit better with ake behind him um and ake i, I thought had a really good game on on saturday um but then ake really got exposed in the game against uh, wolves um so you know it's it's it it, 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 it could be that the um doku destroys Poro. But it could be that Power has a chance to go past him and create chances for Spurs. I, I, I think I think Docu gives City a lot, but he creates a vulnerability that, that isn't there when Grealish is there because Grealish has learned, you know, in his time under Pep to to be a bit more conservative, to take players on a bit bit less often and to retain possession a bit more.
0: Yeah, I think that's the interesting point that you've just made there with, in between Grealish and, and Doku. Grealish has kind of honed his game. He's changed his game from the player that, that we saw at Villa, but he does look after the ball very, very well. And I think he was due to play against Liverpool last weekend, but then he was ill, Ill overnight and Doku came in. Grealish then started the Champions League game as, Which as so well. It seems
1: to me that he's he's trying to pick Grealish in the tougher games.
0: That's what I was going to so say.
1: He played in the Manchester derby. Um I yeah, obviously injury has, has disrupted that to an extent. And 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 Docky's form has disrupted that to an extent because if you've got a twenty one year old kid who's just arrived and he's playing that well, to an extent, give him his head, let him play. And 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 take that take the risk a bit more. But I, I suspect as we get certainly to the sort of final, semi final of the Champions League, we'll probably see a bit oh yeah, assuming form remains roughly equal, we'll see a bit more of Grealish and a bit less of Docky.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe this game against Tottenham because it's against one of the better teams. I know they've got a, a lot of injuries. Maybe Doku won't even play George and it will be Grealish against Porro rather than Doku against Porro.
2: I'm never going to try and guess what Pep's going to do with his team selection um, because I think it's it's basically impossible. Because, I mean, you can make cases for both of them to play. You know, as you say, the, it's not often that City get to play against a high line. We have to assume that. Ange isn't going to change his ways here um but i think there's 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 arguments for why both of them would be more effective against that so um the fact that you know that the, the, the greenish played in midweek probably suggests that Doku will come back in especially because he was so good against liverpool um but as jonathan says i often think with players like Doku, the, the way to deal with them i mean it's it's probably more risky but the way to deal with them is often just to play a very high Full back against them and just give them something to worry about defensively and ensure they basically aren't able to to just have the ball consistently taking players on and trying to beat them in in ground deals. So I think that you know as a neutral coming into this game it, there are so many reasons why it should be a, a brilliant one. You know it's not often that you get to watch teams really take a game to city um probably because it doesn't really work but you know but I think spurs have showing themselves and even in this kind of run of poor form um i still think there's a lot to like in their performances and i think they've, they've been a bit unlucky or a bit wasteful in in certain games especially the villa game obviously where they, where they could have been out of sight at halftime so um yeah i mean i i'm excited to see how it goes but Doku certainly is one of the players right now who um i can't remember many players of his age coming into the premier league and immediately having the kind of impact he's having when he when he does play
0: I mean, George says there, Jonathan, about fighting fire with fire and playing a playing a full-back high. One thing Tottenham do have at the moment is full-backs, and they played four of them at the back last, last week <laughs> against Villa. What can Posta do here? I, I get that he likes this high line, and I'm all for a manager having his principles and, and standing by what, what he believes in. I think it shows strong management, in, in my opinion. But against Manchester City, it probably will be quite risky. But personnel-wise, does he move away from that, that, that 4 fullbacks thing and bring Eric Dyer back in, do you think? well I think the logic of playing the four fullbacks is if you're playing the high line you're not
1: asking your center backs to do what we we sort of think of as the traditional role of a center back you're not really asking them to win headers if you don't win the header on the halfway line it doesn't really matter uh so if you've got a team if you know if you're short of center backs then the thing to do is actually to push up because then you're asking them to do less center back like things uh playing a high line playing that zonal system it's much more about um, positional sense, and then if you do get beaten, having the pace to get back, and that's why I think you you might be reluctant to use Dyer in that system because he's he's slow on the turn. So, so for instance, imagine they play the high line. Uh, you have got Dyer up against Holland. Uh, Bernardo Silva slips the ball through Holland's away. Like, there's no way Dyer's catching him. Whereas, you know, one of the fullbacks maybe does have more of a chance of getting back. I mean, Holland is really hard to catch for anybody. Um, and so they've got to be wary of that. But equally, you, would you ask players to to do something they're, they're they're less comfortable with, and ask them to play play deep and play something they haven't done all season? I think th- I think the way to do it is to say no, we're actually we're going to cause City some problems. We're going to we're going to push up. They're not used to that. Let's see how they deal with that. And it might be that in the first fifteen minutes they keep popping the ball through for Holland, and there's been a load of chances. And maybe you do then have to reassess. Uh, but I, I think it's it's worth the gamble. And I think it's worth persisting with the four fullbacks because, because of the obvious vulnerability of of Dio on the turn.
0: I actually think he's getting people are questioning that same selection against Villa, but to an extent it worked because they were up against Watkins and Diaby. Obviously, Villa would have been looking to, to get in behind in that first half, and Villa Villa didn't do it. And then Diaby got pulled at halftime, tactical change, and Villa changed up what they did. And Tillemans played as a number 10, and that eventually did open Tottenham up. But actually playing the 4 fullbacks. It did kind of silence Watkins and 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 Diaby in that first half. They didn't really have a sniff either. Uh, of them. And Watkins
1: is is very good at, at latching on the balls played through a defensive line. That that's sort of you know his sort of classic goal is running onto a three ball, beating the keeper in a one on one. So if it's stopping Watkins doing it, okay. In the first half, less so in the second. Um, maybe maybe
0: you can stop Holland like that. Yeah, I mean we've talked about Spurs' injuries, George. We can actually make an unavailable eleven for Tottenham Hotspur at, at the moment with Whiteman in goal Phillips, Romero, van der Ven, and Cessignon as the back four though I'm pretty sure Sessegnon's Cessignon on loan somewhere I, I thought I'm not sure is he? Have I made that up? I think he's there isn't he? I thought he was on loan somewhere I could be completely wrong No he's there he's still there He's there? Okay,
2: oh, I am wrong Are you, you thinking of his twin brother Stephen who's uh, Is he on there? Oh, he's, he's just that.
0: You know, you know what I'm getting confused with? This is embarrassing. I'm playing so much football manager at the moment. And he's on Lonely football manager somewhere, and that's what's made that me is... think that, that is like too much gaming. I'm, like I'm like David James circling. Do you want to do this podcast
2: now. on your alternative reality you're <laughs> yeah. your FM game?
0: <laughs> the gaming's really affecting my work. You're in your late 30s. How do you have time to play computer games? I just I just do. Mate, you've got to make the time for the things that you love. Uh. For I'm, I've been playing since nineteen ninety seven. Nothing will eleven.
2: If stop you only if you only sleep for four hours a night, suddenly the days become a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I mean, look at the state of me this morning. I wasn't <laughs> even playing last night. In fairness. let me do that. Let me. Go, I'll go through the eleven. I'll start the eleven again. Mistake from me there. Rare, rare mistake on the Who Scored podcast. Whiteman in goal. Phillips, Romero, Van der Ven, and Cessignon as the back four. Benton Kerr and Saar with Madison just in front in the number 10 position and then Perisic and Solomon playing wide off Richarlison. So there is a you know, that's a whole 11 missing. Some, some some of it's a bit, you know, a few players haven't really ever played for, for Tottenham there. But the injury situation, George, we, we mentioned, we were talking about injuries before we came on and every team does get injuries. That is a a hell of a lot of injuries, particularly in the the midfield area. To Benton Kerr to come back and then lose him to injury straight away, it's it's really unfortunate because he was actually running the game as well.
2: Just to clarify, when you say we were talking about injuries before, just mm. for the listeners and the viewers to know, that was, that was that was Dan saying there was a media bias against Villa because no one was mentioning the four injuries that they have and how they're still coming forth. So I was trying. To help then we have to see the injuries.
0: were It took about half an hour to remember. Yeah. Them. <laughs> no, no, no. I named them. I named those four players straight away. I was trying on, to help then. my... I was, the sign of a good journalist is that you ask for input from other birth. That's what Jonathan Jonathan was doing. He came to an expert and I didn't give him <laughs> anything of any substance what, what whatsoever. But, you know,
2: I was trying to help Jonathan out, trying to help out a, fe- a fellow journalist, George. Yeah, no, very kind. Uh, maybe you can help me out. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the injuries are obviously a, a nightmare for the Spurs at the moment. And I think, you know, the results, as I just said a second ago, aren't particularly good right now, but I didn't kind of coping with it admir- admirably, admirably. Um, good journey, I, good think cope, I think they're coping with it admirably. Uh, and They are, um, you know, But I think because of, almost because of the way that, the, you know, the, the stubbornness from Postacoglu in terms of the way that he wants to set them up means that probably injuries have maybe less of an impact because it's more about the style than the substance to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, coming into this game away at Manchester City, Basically, having to play half of uh, half a team of players that probably wouldn't be getting the starting lineup anyway. I mean, the, the Benton Kerr injury is is you've got to feel really, really sorry for him. Um, you know, for to, to to work his way back from injury twice, only to to have that happen again, and and have that happen from what was a, a pretty nasty challenge from from Matty Cash um, isn't uh, great. And, and Spurs fans will rightly feel very, very aggrieved that this continues to happen to a player that that has shown himself to be really important in previous. Poorer versions of Spurs, really, uh, as as an important player and, and who looks to probably suit the way that the Postacogli wants to play in that role. So frustration there. Um, you know, I, th- I think this is a bit of a free hit. I think Spurs' start to their season means that there's there's no real need for panic. Um, it definitely doesn't feel like. Spurs fans are in any way turning. I think they're still enjoying going to games. And, and even when, you know, even when they do get beaten, I think they can see um, the, the positivity. And when certain players, certainly Madison being being one key one, but, but plenty of players to come back, it, sh- it should in time improve them. Um, but it, I think it's pretty hard. I mean, having said that, it was interesting to, if you think back of C- City so far this season, or even in the last couple of, of weeks, Liverpool really struggled to get a foothold in the game um, last weekend. Uh, you know, it wasn't until they were they were behind that they managed to, to kind of knit together any possession or, or really build anything. Um, and it was effectively City just just kind of camped in their half, which you don't often see with the Jurgen Klopp side. But Chelsea were, were the ones who who kind of turned the game into chaos and just didn't really worry too much about City's attacking threat and looked to throw men forward wherever possible. And that was obviously that incredible four-all game. So maybe there is reason to think that you know, a Spurs side who just will not allow City to do to them what Liverpool, what they did to Liverpool, just won't sit off, won't allow them to have that possession. Um, maybe they're going to go after the the blueprint of what Chelsea showed as, as to how you can get at City and bring them back yourselves.
0: Yeah, we've got a combined 11 for this game. It actually, is, there's only two Tottenham players in there. So it's Vicario in goal, Porro right back, Akanji, Diaz and then Ake left back. Midfield four is Foden, Bernardo Silva, Rodri and Doku. And then it's Son and Haaland up top. But actually, if Spurs didn't have the injuries, because we usually base our, our combined 11s on players that are available only, there'd be more Tottenham players in there. The, the 11 would actually read Vicario in goal. Porro, Romero, van der Ven, and Ake. The midfield would be Foden, Madison, Rodri and Doku And then it would be Son and Haaland still up front. So it does show you that only they're missing players, Jonathan. They're missing some players who've been really good this season.
1: Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, it's losing two centre-backs. I know one of them through suspension is is, is a big thing. Yes, um, yeah, Sarah, I think, has been excellent this season. That partnership with Basima has been really important. Um, and you sort of thought, oh, maybe Benson Kerr can can sort of you know, plays in a similar role. Clearly, a hugely talented player. Maybe he could replicate that. But yeah, he's now out as well. So yeah, it, it's yeah, it's, it's really un- you know you basically in that game against Chelsea, you saw Tottenham's season just fall apart. In a game they were totally running. Son's goal gets ruled out, in the next thirty minutes with injuries, red cards, silly goals given away, or penalty given away. Yeah, you know, they. Their, yeah, that promising start was 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 torn up.
0: Hmm. Well, let's uh, do our predictions for this one then. Manchester City against Tottenham, George.
2: Yeah, I think it should be entertaining. Manchester City will have too much for Spurs. Four-one home win. Four-one, that's big, Jonathan. I mean, there's a bit of me sort of thinks that
1: the lack of control City have had in the last two games. And the, the, you know, how good Tottenham are in transition means they could cause some problems. Um, I think Ruben Diaz has been really poor the last month. Uh, you know, very
0: bad game against Leipzig in midweek. Uh, but I've still gone City to win 2-0. Yeah, I've gone for 2-0 to Manchester City as well. But your spiel there has kind of put me off a well, little bit. I yes, can change it's... my prediction, but I take what you're saying.
2: City, not, you City, won... City are in control against, against Liverpool, especially first half.
1: Uh, yeah Liverpool had chances on the break yeah yeah Darwin nunez had a couple of really good chances on the break uh, or chances to create chances and I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was watching that thinking that that I wasn't surprised Liverpool equalized, put it that way I, I I felt there was enough vulnerability about about city to to feel Liverpool could get back into it, even though city were you know dominating possession were largely in Liverpool's half. They didn't look comfortable in that possession, and I think that's one of the things that Doku creates. Great as he is in creating chances, he also gives them a. you know, they're not quite as as invulnerable as as they have been at their very best in previous seasons.
0: I mean, I say this as someone who's predicted Manchester City to keep a clean sheet, but when I'm watching a City game at the moment, it never feels like one in is enough, because you feel like they will, they will concede. This season, what they did at the back end of last season was built on a very solid defensive foundation, really, and they they kept lots of clean sheets. Nowadays, I feel like they'll concede in, in games. And Son's got a very I mean, good record against yeah. Man City, if my memory serves me correctly, yeah. as well.
1: City's record against Spurs isn't good. They've only won two of the last eight against Tottenham in the league. There's a, there's a League Cup game in there they won, but if you just count the league, it's it's two out of eight. I mean, you know, if, if Stones is back, which you know, he's been on the bench... I yeah, you know, I, th- I think there's a good chance he's back. That will give them that that Stones and Rodri cover at the back of midfield. And I think Akanji yeah, has not yet adapted to that role as as well as Stones has. So get the two of them together, and maybe maybe they do look a lot more secure.
0: Okay. Let's do the rest of our predictions whilst we're here before we go on to Newcastle against Manchester United. Then an Arsenal v. Wolves is first, Jonathan. Uh 2 0, Arsenal. George? Arsenal. I've gone for 2-1 to Arsenal. I will say with Wolves, every time I predict them to win, they lose. And I don't predict them to win very often. They also do the opposite of what I predict, so I expect Wolves to go to Arsenal and win this weekend. Uh, Brentford v Luton, George.
2: 2-0 Brentford. 2-1 Brentford
0: here. Jonathan? 1-0 Brentford. Burnley, Sheffield United. I've gone for an away win, 2-1 to Sheffield
2: United.
1: Jonathan? uh 1-0 to burnley the first home win
0: it's got to happen sometime you'd think so wouldn't you george
2: yeah 2-1 burnley
0: 2-1 to burnley okay uh forest v everton jonathan one one yep same here one one same here there we go <laughs> might be a, a little bit of an insight into our uh odds checker uh triple yeah. later treble even not triple treble later on in the show uh, we'll do Newcastle Manchester United after we've previewed the game Bournemouth v Villa you'll be surprised to hear I've gone for an away win of 2-1 to Aston Villa Jonathan the same 2-1 one, Villa one all. Uh West Ham Crystal Palace George 3-1 home win I've gone for 1-1 one, one, but I'm not sure about that prediction at all Jonathan 1-0 West Ham Chelsea v Brighton Jonathan 2-1 uh, at Chelsea 2-2 two, two. And I've gone for 2-0 to Brighton, a win for that for that one. Uh, Liverpool against Fulham, I have gone for Liverpool 3, Fulham 0. Jonathan? 2-0 to Liverpool. 2-0 to Liverpool and George?
2: I think Jonathan's had my notes. 2-0 Liverpool. <laughs>
0: There's a lot, of, a lot of similar similar predictions going, <laughs> going on there. We were very, very unfortunate last week with our treble, George. I can't remember I exactly know. what it was. Hopefully you know what it, what it was. It was it me was, that let well, us down.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say that. The, it was a thirty-five to one treble. We had um, I had Luton to to win, and they won. Uh, we had Sam put up Bournemouth to beat Sheffield yeah, United, away. they won. And the draw. Hold on, mine was a much bigger price, so you know you should be giving me any credit. Awesome. Uh, the draw, <clears throat> the draw was um, in the Arsenal game where Kai Havertz scored at Brentford in the eighty-ninth minute to to, to scupper our, our big price treble, which is a shame. But hopefully, we can go one better this time around.
0: Yeah, okay, let's let us do it then. Um, I said that you would do the home win, I think, Jonathan. Home win. Can you pick a home win from your predictions this week?
1: So a home win that's, that's kind of going to have slightly juicy odds. Is that what we're after? A tasty, a tasty one. A, yeah. a, a Wilson taste. Well, let, okay, a, let's, let's, go, let's go burnley Sheffield United. Nice. Good start.
2: Okay, the draw. I mean, so I don't get blamed if, if it doesn't win. I'm going to have to go for the one where we all predicted one or Forrest-Everton draw.
0: But, and then army leaves me to pick the away win. So I, God, do I do it?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna no. do You've it. You gotta go. You gotta go, Right. boy. the
0: Brighton at Chelsea.
1: Brighton at Chelsea. Oh, oh hello. Well, I'm oh, kissing that money away. <laughs>
2: sure. Yeah. So on the odds checker um, app on online. Um, the best price for that treble is 28.13 to one that's a bet uk or bet mgm um the shortest price on the grids is 23.57 so that shows you get a much bigger price if you do use odds checker so yeah treble price there just shy of 30 to one bet
0: mgm are loving it aren't they it was Bet mgm last week yeah but they're the ones are. have chris, chris rock doing the adverts yeah, yeah we, maybe right we actually.
2: should get him on the show next week maybe he'll come on yes, yeah. instead of sam
0: yeah, forget Sam, let's get Chris Rock on the show. I might see football see like.
2: If Chris Rock, you know, <laughs> scuppers his uh his score in the predictions league rather than Sam Ty. Yeah, well, it wasn't a good it's, way for anyone. It's any too of late us. now, it's gone, it's finished. Yeah. <laughs> we
0: were we, we were rubbish last week, all of us, with the with the predictions. Yeah. That your two teams I'm, got got three points. I got six. Got I got, I got lucky that Villa won. I can getting the Villa score bang on. Well,
2: I, I, I had another moment. I had two more Injury time goals that stopped me from getting it from three points to zero points. And one of them is the yeah.
0: Let's look at Newcastle against Manchester United, and we've talked a little bit about Anana. I haven't actually seen the Champions League from last night, so it might not be a great oh. time to talk about Anana's upturn in form. So, does one of you want to run through with me what happened last well,
2: night? Okay, go on, George. Here uh, you put. Yeah, well, no, I'll just, mean, I mean, I only I, I was actually at, um I was at Southampton against um, Bristol City, but I was watching it in the in the bar before, so I didn't see the whole thing, but I saw Hakim Ziyech hit a free kick straight at Onana who managed to almost kind of parry it behind him um into the back of the net. It, it wasn't his finest moment. But it's really I mean that the Onana narrative at the moment is really interesting where obviously the eye test is not particularly good and we're seeing him make quite a few errors. However, you know if you're looking at the numbers and the data side of things, Statsbomb put out a tweet earlier this week about Onana saying that he is um he's got the best goal saved above average rate in the whole league and you know a lot of people couldn't really believe that if you look at the Opta analysts um you know which have a different data provider but you can see them openly available online they have Anana having the second best goals prevented uh rate um or figure behind Kaminsky in the league so you've got two separate you know option stats Problem: they're both projecting that in terms of shot stopping Anana is is performing as the best or one of the top two best shot stoppers in the division, which I think is is confusing quite a lot of people. I think that there are going to be multiple reasons for that. You know, Manchester United defensively are not good. Like if you look at the the numbers so far this season from a defensive standpoint, in terms of, of pure um, shots faced, they have the, the sixth most shots faced in the league this season with 136. So that is, you know, they face more shots this season than Burnley. Um, They face more shots this season than than Nottingham Forest. So naturally there, you know, Inanna is clearly incrementally doing some pretty good things where he is making probably easier saves that not everyone would make. And he's he's doing them fairly regularly. But the life of a goalkeeper, and this is actually often the case with David De Gea, is if you make one, two, three. Really obvious errors over the course of two or three months, especially at the beginning of your of your spell at the club in this league, then those are going to be picked upon and, and and focused on. So, you know, the the narrative here seems to be that that Anana is struggling, despite you know obviously the the clean sheets recently, but then you know his who scored rating is high, his goals prevented rate is high, and frankly, when you look when you watch Manchester United at the moment, they look so poor between both boxes that it's probably fair to say that if it wasn't for Anana especially given the goal's prevented rate, their, their season would be looking a lot worse. So, I mean, where do you stand? It's, it's, it's the numbers versus the eyes.
0: Yeah. Jonathan, because you and I want to, want to carry on working, we don't care about statsbomb and Opta. We only care about the, the who scored data that that, that we've got that are coming up on the screen now. So we've got a Pope via Nana head-to-head. And actually their metrics are very, very similar. The only thing that is way out there is Anana's accurate long balls per 90 compared to Pope's is 4.5 compared to 2.7. But everything else is kind of a, a, along the same lines. But like George says, where do you stand w- with Anana? Because the numbers look favourable. But when I, when I don't know about you, but when I watch him, I just think, I don't, I don't even think he's the same goalkeeper. I, and I can't say I've seen him play loads for Inter, but when I did watch Inter in the Champions League run last season, I just felt like he was a lot more assured than the Inanna I see now.
1: Yeah, well, I th- he was named goalkeeper of the tournament, wasn't he, I think, in the Champions yeah, League last season? Yeah, I he was, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he, look, he's, I was at Goodison last Sunday, he made an absolutely brilliant double save there. He's made some sensational saves this season, as well as facing a lot of shots. And then you look at the two goals he's conceded to Ziyech last night, both very similar, just low free kicks, not a huge amount of pace on them. One of them he jumps out the way of and one, yeah, I mean, who knows what he was trying to do with with the second one. Um, I think there's been quite a few errors where you sort of think he should have kept shots out. I think when um, there's a one-on-one against him, he sort of he seems to almost dematerialize. He just you, you have no faith in him in one on ones. Um, so I, I think it's fair to say he has deficiencies as a keeper. But I also think that with a properly structured team, but set up for him because he is very good with the ball at his feet, as that, that long passing stat suggests. Um, you know he 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 does give you something. Uh, and if you're playing with a, a very high line and he's coming out of his box, he doesn't really face one-on-ones in the same way. But because United still can't play with as high a line as I think Ten Hag would like, I mean, it's higher than last season because De Gea you know, just couldn't play the ball out with with his feet comfortably enough. Uh, but you know, obviously, if you're playing with Maguire and Lindelof, around these slow players at the back, you, you can't push up that high. I think the higher the line, although, yes, it opens space up for people to run into, it's it's easier for Anana because I think what he's good at is that anticipation coming out mopping up behind the back four, rather than having a player running at him. Uh, so I just think he's the bits of the game that aren't great are being exposed at the moment. I think his confidence is all over the place, which is not surprising given the shambles that is often in front of him. I think even his passing, because he has players who don't necessarily show in the right places. I mean, you, you think of the game against cartasaray at home. Um, when you know, Amrabat was playing at left back and his positioning was just all over the place. Uh, there's so many problems there that I think it's it's having an impact on him. Um, so I, I I think he's been very up and down this season. I, but I think it is explicable, and I think in a more a more secure system, it's better suited to him, and it's the system to which United certainly if Ten Hag stays on as manager, uh, trying to build, I think you will see his quality because you saw it both with Inter and you saw it with with Ajax under Ten Hag. It's just that at the moment, he is making mistakes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it says in the script here, has the familiarity of the Maguire-Lindelof partnership actually helped Anana George? But you can't really be playing a a massively high line like Ten Hag once with Maguire and Lindelof. And, you know, I say this kind of thing every week. And to be fair, they are churning out results in in the Premier League Manchester United. It's 2023 and we're talking about a Maguire-Lindelof partnership. We, we shouldn't still be talking about
2: that. Yeah, I, I don't really think the numbers I read out a second ago with regards to how many shots um, they've conceded um, compared to other teams in the league. I, I don't think you can necessarily say that the defenders are, are doing an important job if they're having to rely on the goalkeeper to to bail them out You know, against um, Everton Everton had an XG of two in the game and out, you know, their XG was higher than than uh, United's in that game. Uh, over the course of these clean sheets, pretty consistently, teams are creating chances. I mean, it was obviously more comfortable against Luton, um, but uh, Fulham were another side who, who outperformed out XG'd uh, United in their game two with over one. So, I, I yeah, from where I'm sitting, I mean, I think Maguire um, is having an OK season and I think, you know, he... I consistently think he deserves a bit more respect from, from from kind of all football fans. Um but you're right, I I, I don't really see and and you know, I, I don't think a Tenaga or any United fan will expect the Lindelof Maguire partnership to be one that carries them to where they want to be. Um and uh, you know, I think the the the, the main important thing if, if United's form is to be sustainable with their three con- consecutive wins, it's gonna have to be a case of stopping the opposition from creating chances rather than relying on Anana who seemingly despite uh, what we've just been speaking about is the person who's keeping them in these games.
0: Yeah, someone they relied on last season, Jonathan, was Casemiro, but he's reportedly angling for an exit at the, at the moment. Cobby or Kobe, Maynard came into the midfield at the weekend against Everton. What were your thoughts on him?
1: Oh, he's really impressive. I mean, United, uh, I think, a bit frustrated that he's he's had a lot of injuries this season, that, that in the, he had a very good summer, had a very good pre season. I think they wanted to bring cool. him in then. Uh, so before the season started when Ten Hag was complaining about all the injuries they had Manu was one of the people he was going on about and everybody was like really? Like an 18 year old who hasn't played yet? But then you see how he played at Goodison you sort of think oh yeah he's actually you know there's real quality there um, I think you know I mean this is very much with an England hat on but in fact you've got him and Lewis Miley both coming into play in, at the back of midfield and what's sort of tactically a very difficult position it's a, you know, it's a position where you have to be able to read the game uh, which I think you would often expect that to be a role for an older player. Uh, the, the young players who come through often has to do with their pace or their their sort of bravery taking players on. But well, with the two of them, they 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 both read they seem to read the game. I mean, they've played what four games between them or whatever, but they both seem to read the game exceptionally well. So um yeah, that position alongside Declan Rice, there might be some some proper competition in in yeah, by the next World Cup. But, yeah, it's one game for Manu. And I think United have a habit of getting overexcited by young players who come through. I knew mean, you've seen it with Yanisai. We've seen it with... Makeda. Garnaccio, to an extent. Makeda. Uh, Makeda, yeah. Oh, is that that um, pretty? Yeah. Am- Amagello. <laughs> I mean, good as Amagello was for Son the last season. Yeah, I'm not sure there's any evidence that he can physically cope with the Premier League. Um So, uh, yeah, we shouldn't expect too much. He's 18, he's only just started. But those early signs, I think, are enormously impressive. At least we have got
2: awesome. Oleg Solskjaer coming out and telling us. That he reminds him of, of, of uh, a combination of Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes and everyone else from that. Again, <laughs> <laughs> throw
0: him in there uh, as Roy, well. Of course. I, will, yeah. I will say Diallo's doing very well in my Football Manager twenty four side, so Jonathan. So you know, he's, great. I'm glad he's, to hear it. Where, he's where talking, are you playing him? Could, yeah.
1: coming off, coming off the right, or
0: yeah, right hand side. So yeah. Using him as the twelfth man in PAX sub at the moment. It's, it's, yeah. it's going very well for me. He's working well, changing games in in my favour. When he leaves,
2: when he leaves at the end of, the, end of the season, get Jack Clarkin on the left. He'll be fine. Oh, yeah, I read something funny.
0: about I read something about Jack Clark yesterday. Actually, Newcastle have got a lot of injuries. It is turning into the injury podcast. As Jonathan said to me before we came on, everyone gets <coughs> injuries, but that has no, no. Me. But I,
1: I think there are more injuries this season. Um, and oh, the, so when Almirón went down with his hamstring injury at Bournemouth, which is before the international break, he was the the thirty second player at that point to be out with a hamstring injury. Obviously, the stats have changed slightly since then, but that is a huge number. People are getting loads of hamstring injuries. Um, I don't know why that is. It might be to do with uh, you know, this sort of knock-on effect of the World Cup being at the wrong time, extra games, the COVID break, that everybody's been under a you know, huge load for the last three years. It might be, I mean, Posse said this when Van Der Ven got injured, that that he thinks the long delays for, for VAR, players standing around for four or five minutes in the cold, could be a cause I don't know enough of a physiology to know if that's likely. Um, But, uh, you know, I I certainly think it's something that's worth
0: asking Um, because there do seem to be a huge amount of injuries this season. Yeah, I mean, that's led to Newcastle using 29 players so far this season. That's a high in the Premier League, 23-24 to 29 players is a staggering amount. Sheffield United a second with 27, Nottingham Forest third with 27 because they've got about a 55-man squad. And then Manchester United have actually used 26 themselves. So, you know, all those those numbers seem high. Actually, I wouldn't have guessed that players even, that teams even had that amount of players in their squad. Yeah. Well, it's it's partly because
1: you have five sons now, right?
0: Yeah, mm. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, one that does not get up is.
1: slightly. I mean, it, it just yeah. means that, you know, if you're 3-0 up with five minutes to go, you can give a 17-year-old a few minutes, whereas maybe you'd have used your three subs before. So uh, uh, that that will cause that to an, to an extent. But I, I still agree. Yeah, there's clearly been loads of injuries this season. And Newcastle have been worse hit than a lot of teams.
0: Yeah, but it Although that said,
1: a... eight of the team had started against PSG on Wednesday were in the team that beat PSG 4-1. So... There is still a core of the first team there. I, I know they're not able to replace them from the bench to the same
0: extent, but uh,
1: yeah, I said Wednesday,
0: Tuesday. Tuesday yeah. Sorry. Very unfortunate, Newcastle. On Tuesday, it was Liveramento that played left-back in that game against PSG, and he impresses me every time I watch him. But could it be this weekend, Lewis Hall that plays left-back? He had a good game against Manchester United in the Cup earlier on in the season. Is Lewis Hall the, the long-term Newcastle left-back, George?
2: It, it looks that way. Um, you know, I was pretty surprised to see that they were able to, able to get him in the in the summer. Um, but he's you know he's a quality player at a very young age. He's shown again. He's he's the kind of player that if Newcastle want to get to where they want to go to, it's his kind of profile. Um, that is you know, given how how it can improve players as well. You'd anticipate that he will be the person to to do it. But, I mean, Liveramento, he's had his injury issues, but he's another one who definitely has the quality and the capability to play there and that is what Newcastle are building now is if you have you know, a, a squad full of depth as they're, as they're developing with with individuals improving then um, you know you said, you said they're unfortunate on the, on the weekend and obvi- obviously the, the VAR decision was, was ridiculous and it's just so annoying that I just feel sorry for all the, the Newcastle fans who travelled to Paris and for 98 minutes thought they were going to experience one of the great days and then have it taken away from them off the back of... Um, a VAR decision and a contentious one at like that. Although well, maybe Jonathan doesn't agree with his uh, Sunderland uh, hat on. But
1: no, no, I think that that decision was a, a nonsense. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they got away with two penalties earlier in the half. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but, like... but, that, but it's
2: like you know, people pointing to, to PSG having an XG of like four and a half and stuff. Like, yeah, that's true, and it doesn't no, no one's saying that. You know, Newcastle deserved to win on the balance of play necessarily. It's just for that to happen as, as nice no, later. no,
1: it's. it's uh, uh... Yeah, it's crushing, but um yeah. I just sort of think this oh VAR's against us. Well, VAR gave you two decisions earlier in the half. that yeah. I think there were more penalties than one that was given. Well, yeah, it's we, would you tell Gary O'Neill
2: that would you tell Gary O'Neill that VAR isn't against Wolves? No, because <laughs> it, it it manifestly
1: is. I mean <laughs> this is uh, this is Dan Vardell's influence over the Premier League with his anti wolves bias. <laughs>
0: Uh, i i don't mind. I've, I've been really impressed with Wolves. This this I think Gary O'Neill's done done a really good job to to, to recover what could have been a really tricky. Oh, that's situation, that's classic. Actually? Sort of
1: patronising them, kind of.
0: No, for for for, for medium sized club are doing very well. Bless them. I don't know. They're not medium-sized clubs, They're small club. They don't really like well for, for, for a small club. I'm <laughs> joking. Love. I've got nothing against Wolves whatsoever, of course, except when I play against Villa, where I, I want them to lose. Of course, I do the same when anyone plays a, a, against Wolves. Let's look at the. Combined... So, anything
1: I'd say about the left backs? I, I don't think I know. It's so easy to sort of think, "Oh, yeah, Dan Burns just filling in until somebody gets old enough to replace him." I don't think you should underestimate how important balance is in a team. And while Dan Byrne clearly is not as technically gifted as either Lewis Hall or Livermento, what he does give you is height and solidity. So when Trippier goes forward, they can shuffle across. They've got a very obvious back three there. And, and that, that balance is not going to be replaced easily. So I, I, I see that going forward, you probably want two attacking fullbacks. I see you want the option on both sides. But they've got to work out a way to... You know, sometimes Trippier will tuck in or sometimes a holding midfielder will drop back. And one of the positions they don't really have at the minute is a defensive holding midfielder. Yeah, their midfield works. It's nicely balanced. But one of the reasons it's balanced is that Dan Byrne's there doing a lot of defensive work. So I, I don't think we should just sort of think, oh yeah, Dan Byrne will eventually be phased out and this will be an easy process. There is, there is yeah, there, there
0: is tactical tweaking to be done there. In fence, no one really plays with two attacking fullbacks anymore. That's not really how, how any team plays even Liverpool have to Ketil and Andy Robertson nowadays, because of the way the wide Trent plays, not many teams do play with two fullbacks bombing on. It's just not the done thing in the Premier League. Well, I mean, Andy Robertson still does get forward. Was um, which where, where, which game was it? Was it against Wolves when he scored that goal?
1: He did score when he against Wolves. burst in the box. So, I mean, I take your point that he's sort of having to cover slightly because of the way Alexander Arnold plays. But but yeah, no, you I mean, you're, you're right. You're right. It's it's Horo
2: and, it, and a doggy, doggy get Yeah, Pretty
0: high yeah. Both ooh, do- ooh doggy! <laughs> I was doing that all Sunday watching the game. Watching, the game. I don't know whether Jonathan was on <laughs> when I said, when I told that story.
2: No, um, his face suggests no. that he wasn't. No,
0: basically, <laughs> whenever I watch Spurs on t- on, t- on TV and the commentator says "ooh doggy," oh, my dog's usually sat next to me. I look at my dog and go "ooh doggy." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I just, this is something that I've started doing when I, when, when I watched Tottenham Hotspur play and I did, was doing it on Sunday when they were when they were playing against Villa as well, my, my own team. Let's move away from that nonsense though and the combined <laughs> 11 of Newcastle and Manchester United. It is Onana who tags the gloves over Nick Pope. We've then got a back four of Trippier, Maguire, Cher and Dallow. McTominay, Fernandez, and Gamarej is the midfield and it's an all-Geordie front three with Almiron, Isak and Gordon, of course. Injured players or unavailable players do not make the 11. Let's do our predictions for this one then. Jonathan, I'll come to you first.
1: Uh,
0: 1-1. I think they'll both be knackered from uh, European games. Fair. George? 2-1 Newcastle. 2-1 to Newcastle. And I have gone for 3-1 to Newcastle. So, yeah, all different predictions there. We finish the pod with the team in focus section. And this week it is Crystal Palace, who have lost four of their last five. You scoffed at the suggestion of this before we came on, Jonathan. Is Roy Hodgson under, under any pressure?
1: I don't think so. I mean, they're 10 points clear... Of, of the relegation zone. Look, I mean, look, losing to Everton and Luton is not great. The other two defeats in that four, four out of 5 they've lost were to Newcastle and Tottenham, which you'd expect. Uh, they didn't play particularly well in beating Burnley, as, as Roedgeson accepted. So, I mean, they're not playing well at the minute. But, you know, wh- where, where are Palace going to be? I, you know, mid-table is, is what they are. Um, and before that, yeah, they've won one of the last six. The game before that, they won one at old Trafford, so yeah it's, it's a little bit of a blip, and if it gets worse, then maybe pressure does does come to bear. But as long as his health is all right, and he obviously had that spell when he was away because of illness, and you know as long as he is back to, to, to full health, I I, just, I don't see why there'd be any threat to him in the in the short
0: term. I mean they're adapting to life without Wilfred Zahara, who's been there for for a long time going to be without Ezra for about four weeks and Decore potentially all season, George. But one player that really thrust himself back into the action last week was Michael Alisa, mm. player you will have known coming through the EFL. What a player. What a goal last week.
2: But what a player he is. Incredible goal. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant player. And someone who... You know, I think he's showing it in flashes at Palace. I don't think he's, he's necessarily impacting games as much as he should. I know that Palace fans absolutely love him and, and any kind of mutual fan comes away from a game against Palace completely <clears throat> thinking, you know, what have we just seen? And at the age of 21, I I, I really strongly believe that his future will be amongst the very elite of, of, of European and world football. You know, he's not someone who's just going to be a decent player for Palace. He has every single asset in terms of his his physicality, his skill, his pace uh, and his final product to be playing in for an elite team probably pretty soon. Uh, but that, you know, I, I I definitely take Jonathan's point about Hodgson and I think he is, you know, you have to remember the position that Palace were in when Hodgson came in last season uh, and, and you know, the the, the turnaround of, of fortunes that we saw and the fact that he's done a brilliant job for Palace over a number of seasons now, over two spells. But that it, it does almost feel to me that there is untapped potential at the moment at Palace just given the, the the caliber of player that they've got I don't necessarily think this Palace squad is necessarily suited to the way that Hodgson wants to play and also if you think back to last season's Palace under Roy Hodgson it was he was very he went very against type and they played this really free-flowing yeah. attacking football and as is always the case you know they've reverted back to type now and it's a little bit stale it's, it's functional ish in that you know that they're, they're never kind of well beaten but they don't it's not particularly expansive. Now, the, the injuries to Eze and, and, and to Kure obviously uh, are big issues because they're two quali- crucial players for them. But I just think the, the Patrick Vieira experience seemed to really spook Palace, where they flew quite close to the sun in that first season where they, they were really good and they were playing this new brand of football. And everyone got very excited. And then it all fell apart and they were threatened with relegation. And it feels to me that like there's a both in the hierarchy of Palace and within the fan base, there seems to be this idea now that, like, well, we've got to be really careful that we don't tear this up and and try something a bit more innovative, because if we do that, we might get relegated, as was nearly the case last season.
0: Well, that's Frank De Boer as well, didn't they? And that didn't go well.
2: Well, that, I mean, I think that was just a poor appointment, wasn't it, really? Um, you know, the, 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 the fact, you know, having two former world-class players come over and, and try and uh, play a certain way doesn't mean that every single young coach you you hire to play an innovative style but will also fall by the wayside. It doesn't work it always frustrates me when people kind of package manager profiles together as if they're the same person with the same ideas and the same coaching staff and everything else. Like I, you know, the players that Dougie Friedman brings in in terms of whether it's Gahee or or Elise or Eze or Anderson, you know, these are are young players whose technical quality and technical talent is the most important part of the reason why they are good footballers. And I think in that sense, you probably want somebody like, you know, whether it's a a Graham Potter or Deserby or, you know, someone who uh, has ideas of of how to nurture and and bring the best out of those players. And and Roy Hodgson is a a brilliant manager for so many reasons, but he's a pragmatist at the end of the day. And he's always going to be a pragmatist. He's always going to be risk averse and set up a team to effectively play out of a solid base and um, utilise any counter-attacking threat that they can have and, and for me you know it's it's always going to have a, a pretty low ceiling uh, to, to where that can, can feasibly go um, you know I, I don't think Hodgson should be under pressure now but I do think Crystal Palace you know I know Paddy McCarthy his assistant manager is very very highly regarded and maybe the, the plan is for um, for him to, to succeed Roy at a time you know in, in a summer but it does you know I think the the, the blueprint for success for Palace shouldn't be where we need to find a succession plan for someone who can take on Roy's job and do what Roy does. It should be how do we utilise what is you know, hundreds of millions pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds worth of talent that we have at our disposal that other teams playing a much more expansive style would want in their side. How do we utilise that to the best of a, to to our own advantage? You
1: know, all that's true. The the only thing I'd say in Hodgson's defence in terms of style is that last season he had Zaha as a yeah and yeah and this season he's never had, you know, Zaha's gone and the other two have not been fit at the same time, or maybe for one or two games. But he hasn't been able to play both of them together for any no. protracted period. So may uh, yeah. So they, I think there's only the uh, three promoter clubs who scored fewer than them. So that is an issue. I think there's only Eduard has scored more than two goals. But they have got the seventh best defence in the league. And
2: maybe when they get...
1: Yeah, both Elisa and Ezra together, they will become a bit more exciting to watch.
2: But yeah, and I, I agree with that. And and yeah, you know, there are obvious caveats. And, and as I said, I don't think he's, his job is under threat now. But there's a there's a player called Jeswin Rakzaki who's who's played um, fleeting off the bench and hasn't really looked particularly good. But he he's someone who was on loan at, at Charlton last season in League One, and he was he was the best player probably in League One last season, playing for a side who were very poor. You know, often, uh, a kind of League One and Championship level players come in and you can basically immediately see that they've been loaned to the wrong level. Like it was just, he should have been playing championship football last season. And given the injuries that you'd had, I would expect that probably a different manager would be more willing to, just to give a young guy who hadn't played much Premier League minutes a chance. You know, he's, a, he's an attacking player, he's a wide player. But naturally, as I say, given that, you know, if you've got a manager who's fairly risk-averse, you're probably not going to want to take that risk. And that's understandable. Um, but is it to the detriment of, of Palace's young talent? M- maybe. Um, you know, they've got other young players as well. Franker obviously, who came in in the summer, who, who's, you know, been, I think been struggling for fitness. We haven't seen too much of at the moment. But, you know, they're, in the midst of an injury crisis, it does kind of feel like there is a reticence to to trust maybe the the players who who need developing. And, and instead, you know, we're seeing Jeffrey Schlupp play um, wide left for, for most of the season, who, who you know, I guess you know what you're going to get. He's a 6, 7 out of 10 player. But, um, yeah, I, I'd like just to see a little bit more um risk taking maybe uh to, to see where palace can go because that as I say the, the team has the, the potential to play a very different way and and maybe a bit more um just give the a bit more excitement.
0: That's oh, so a nice little deep dive into Crystal Palace there, and that does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast. Thanks very much to OddsChecker for continuing to back us and sponsor us. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all of those that are listening and tuning in as well. Wherever you are taking in this podcast, if you could do all the good stuff like like, subscribe, comment, that really, really helps the podcast grow. We'll be back again next week to preview the Premier League action, as we always do. Hopefully, our OddsChecker treble comes in because it's another the big long shot that we've gone forward this way but I, I I reckon it's going to come in I've got a good feeling about this week's treble thanks to the chaps for having a chat with me and as always tell all your friends and family about the pocket